Lightning, their ninth walk-off of the year. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls? You're listening to This Week in Sports. It is Friday, June 24th, 2022. And as always, I'm your host, The Pody. And as you just heard right there from that soundbite, the New York Yankees, led by one Aaron Judge, walked it off last night against the Houston Astros. It was an incredible finish to a game that I had very little interest in from the start because I kept monitoring this this game throughout Houston. It's a big series, right? Yankee fans hate Houston for the cheating of 2017-2019 prevented us from going and possibly winning a World Series. So very interested in in uh, this four, I think it's a four game set, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, very big series and, you know, kind of a litmus test, if you will. Of course, Yankees, best team in baseball, best record in baseball, only team to not have lost 20 games or more. They're sitting with 18 losses right now, 52 and 18, I believe. Anyway, big series. You had um, Framber Valdez on the mound for Houston, good throwing lefty. And you had Jamison Tyone, who has been very, very good this year. I think he's got like an eight and one record, something like that. I think he's got eight wins. Anyway, early on, Yankees are losing three nothing first inning. And of course, Tyone's on my fantasy team, so that's not good. Then they come back, bottom one. John Carlos Stan smokes a three run oppo shot into the second deck. Good for my fantasy team because he's on my team. Later on, um, Houston ends up, I want to say, um, they hit another. I, there was a bunch of three-run homers hit in this game. It was weird. So Houston ends up taking a 6-3 to three lead. I'm monitoring the game here and there, checking in, checking, you know, checking in every so often as I'm, you know, cooking dinner, whatnot. And the Yankees aren't doing much. I hear they hadn't had a runner since the first inning until, like, the seventh inning when Anthony Rizzo, God bless that man, has a 16-pitch at-bat against Valdez that gets his pitch count up. He he works it into a walk. The Yankees don't do any damage that inning, but they would chase him out of the game, and then it would uh, lead you know, to things things to come later. So fast forward now to the ninth in, or eighth inning. Rizzo smokes a ball. I don't think it was going to get out in right field, but Tucker made an unbelievable catch, kind of jumps at the wall and, and slams into the wall and catches it. So it's like, damn, that was the Yankees' chance right there. Okay. Bullpen did a phenomenal job, by the way. Tyone was able to gut through, I believe, six and a third or six and two thirds. Then Litke came on, some couple guys in the bullpen. They shut the door down there, kept it at 6-3. We fast forward to the ninth inning, two runners on, Aaron Hicks coming up to the plate, and you guys know my disdain for Aaron Hicks, and if you don't, well, let's just say I am not a fan of his. He's got the leg kick, he's got the bat wiggle, it's all or nothing, he wraps the bat behind his head, and it's all or nothing on every swing, and, well, guess what? It was all or nothing on this swing. 
and the pitch. High drive, right field. There it goes. See ya. There's the home run. He ties it with one swing. It is 6 6. Well, Michael, you say it. That he needed to work on the home run swing, and he did it right here. Yeah, so Hicks smokes a no-doubter three-run game-tying home run in the ninth inning. There are still no outs in the ninth inning, so the Yankees are looking good. They have now tied the game. Presley can't get an out. Three batters can't get an out. Tie game. Next batter, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, IKF, hits a ball in the hole at short. Nice diving play, but they were in a little bit of a shift, so IKF beats it out safe at first. Trevino comes up, has been an absolute stud all year. He's second in um, all-star votes for catchers behind Alejandro Kirk of the Blue Jays. And I actually just picked him up on my fantasy team because Salvador Perez just hit the IL. So I'm excited about having him. So here's the deal. You all know that I'm an old school type of baseball coach. You know, I think old school. So in this situation, nobody out. Runner on first. That's now the game winning run. And IKF has some speed. You can do a couple of things here. You can bunt him over to second, put him in scoring position, which a lot of teams don't like to do nowadays. You can try to straight steal. You could put on a hit. You could do so many different things here, right? You just got to get him over. Well, it was a little odd because Trevino tried to bunt on like the first pitch and he took it for a strike. And then I think two pitches later, IKF did a straight steal. And they took the bunt off. Trevino didn't even swing to kind of help him out there. And it was a bang-bang play at second base. The tag was high and right initially live. He looked completely safe. Michael Kay said, oh, my God, his foot must have came off the bag because every he thought he was safe too. Yankees decided to challenge it, which I love how this works. There's a guy in the dugout on the staff who's got to get on the cell, who, uh, the, the phone, um, you know, the rotary phone there on the wall. And he's got to talk to somebody in the truck to to tell him if they should challenge it or not. It's the ninth inning. That's the game-winning run. Does Aaron Boone really need one of his assistant coaches to get on a phone and figure out if we're going to challenge this play or not? No, of course you're challenging it. You don't need somebody to tell you that's the winning run. You challenge it if he's out by a mile because you hope that they miss something. So anyway, they go to the replay. They did challenge it. And... He was clearly safe, clearly safe. The foot gets in there. If anything, it's bang, bang, tie, which goes to the runner. But the tag was so high. The foot was there. None of the replays, and I tweeted about this last night, none of the replays conclusively show that he is out, which was the call on the field. So if you can look at a replay 15 times and not be able to tell if he's out, that means he's not out. He's safe. So anyway, they upheld the call on the field, which was a complete joke. And I actually said this, and I was thinking about it when they tried bunting. That was a situation, in my opinion, I would not have tried to bunt. I would not have tried to steal. I know you want to stay out of the double play. God forbid if Trevino were to ground into a double play there. But here's my thought process. Presley had nothing working for him. Nothing. He faced four batters. Couldn't get a single out. If I'm the Yankees and Aaron Boone, I let Trevino hit away. He hit a walk-off the night before or a couple nights before that uh, against the Rays. And I'm just sitting there thinking, 
Four batters can't get an out. Let Trevino hit. This guy doesn't have it tonight. This is our chance. We can win it right here. Just let him hit. So anyway, they tried to steal with IKF. He gets thrown out. Of course, I think it was the next pitch. Trevino singles to center anyway. So you would have had first and second. Nobody out. They pull. Um, they pulled Presley out of the game, and they brought in Stanek who the Yankees know very well from his time with the Rays last year. Uh, good hard-throwing sinker baller. He ends up, um, uh, I forget exactly what happened, but it was first and second. Um, and then he ends up walking Stanton, I believe. To No, DJ LeMahieu is the one that walked. He worked a beautiful walk. Um, it was a tough grinded out um, at bat. He works a walk. And then it's first and second, and Aaron Judge comes up. And that's when he has the 3-0 count. 3-0. Stanek looked like he wanted nothing to do with them. He throws that splitter on 3-0, and Judge belts it in uh, down the left field line, up against the wall, game over. Trevino comes in to score. Yankees win. Ninth walk-off victory on the season for the Yankees. Just unbelievable game. Unbelievable win. And I'm so glad it came against Houston because friggin' Altuve was like three for three. Uh, Jordan Alvarez was smashing home runs. I mean, Houston looked really good, and I can't stand them. I hate Houston. And for us to get a walk-off win like that, just unbelievable. So the Yankees now... Now on the season, let me make sure I have that um, correct in terms of, yeah, Yankees are now 52 and 18 and they lead their division by 12 and a half games and they have by far and away the best record in baseball. So it's a very, very fun time to be a um, to be a New York Yankees fan. I'm getting a spam call on my phone right now. So sorry about that. Let me decline that. Put on do not disturb here so we don't get disturbed yet again. So, yeah, just an unbelievable game, an unbelievable finish for the Yankees. And then you fast forward to the aftermath of that game. And you think about the fact that Aaron Judge was set to go to an arbitration hearing today at 12 p.m. As I'm doing this um, podcast right now, it is th almost 3.30. So that was about three and a half hours ago. He was set to go into an arbitration hearing. It was over Zoom. Um, but here's the SparkNotes version of why he was going to an arbitration hearing and yada, yada, yada. The first arbitration hearing for the Yankees since Dellen Batances in 2017. It's part of the reason that Dellen Batances left the Yankees because he uh, the Yankees soured on him. He didn't like the way that hearing went with Randy Levine and how the Yankees portrayed him. And he told his teammates as much in the clubhouse afterwards. And then Batantis ended up leaving and going to the Mets that off season. So back to judge, I'll give you the spark notes version of it. Judge was offered seven million, uh, seventeen million million for this upcoming season. He declined wanting $21 million. Now Aaron judge is in the midst of his greatest season ever. And of course, walked it off last night as it just so happens to be a night before the arbitration hearing. So the Yankees look terrible. They look like they've got egg on their face, but they didn't want to give him that long, huge contract. Uh, they offered him $213 million. He wanted more. They tried to settle for this season. He didn't want the 17. He wanted $4 million more. Okay, so new developments come out today. The Yankees apparently made... A, uh, made an offer 
at the midway point of the season, offering him $19 million. He apparently declined that. Well, just before arbitration today, the Yankees did the right thing. They were able to settle and come to terms on a deal for this season. According to sources, Joel Sherman, I believe, was the one that broke this. The Yankees offered to settle, uh, excuse me, the Yankees and Judge settled for $19 million, that same money that they offered at the midway point, but there also includes incentives. He will receive an additional $250,000 if he is named AL MVP, which, not going to lie, there's a really, really good chance of that happening the season that he is having, as well as um, he can receive an additional $250,000 if he is named World Series MVP. And listen, the way the Yankees are going, I know they haven't been to a World Series in over a decade, but the way they're playing right now, that's very possible that they can get there. Whether he they get there and he makes World Series MVP is, you know, another thing, but he has a better chance at AL MVP. So Judge was okay with that. They were able to settle. Um, so it's good news for the Yankees. It's good news for Yankees fans. It's good news for everybody. Because according to Buster Olney this morning, he doesn't believe that Aaron Judge will be a Yankee next year. He thinks he's going to leave in free agency. Um, but hopefully this they can work things out. They can agree to a long-term deal, which the Yankees are going to have to pay buku bucks now with the season that he's having as long as he stays healthy. The Yankees should um, contend for a title. I, I mean, their pitching has been unbelievable. They've been getting, you know, walk-off hits from a number of different players. Jose Trevino, this was a guy that wasn't on the team at the beginning of the year. Same with IKF. These guys have been a revelation. They've been awesome. And... It's really fun. Uh, Buster Olney actually um, tweeted this a couple hours ago, given where Judge stands in MVP race, the money he makes in 2022 may well land beyond the midpoint of his arbitration case at $19.25 million after his side initially turned down $19 million settlement, could make two hundred fifty dollars for MVP, also an additional two hundred fifty dollars for World Series MVP. Um, so he's saying that Mark Feinsand uh, was the first to report this. So um, I stand corrected on that. And it looks like it's $19.25 million, not the $19 million. So, yeah, it, everybody's happy on both sides. Um, so that means that I'm happy as well. And we can move on and get past this and get back to the season because it's been an unbelievable one for my New York Yankees. Okay. Let's continue. Let's get to the NBA draft. There was a lot of sus suspense around who was going to go number one. For most of this offseason and this whole process, it was Jabari Smith Jr., who everybody said was going to go number one to the Orlando Magic. Um, kid out of Auburn, who can absolutely stroke it, 6'10", and he made like 79 threes last year, which was by far the most for any player of his size. And um, for threes that were at the NBA level, because, of course, college three-pointers are closer, but shots that he took that were at the NBA level, he made 41% of those, and he's 6'10". So it was between him, Chet Holmgren, of course, the seven-footer from Gonzaga, you know, uh, stud that has 
point guard type handles, can kind of do it all, but is still kind of raw, still kind of skinny. And with his body type, can his knees hold up? Can his legs hold up? That's always the question with guys of his size. And then, of course, there was Paolo Bancaro, who only continued to develop and get better as the NCAA tournament rolled around, had a double-double in his first NCAA game, uh, March Madness game, tournament game, and then just continued to get better and better and better and develop, develop, develop all the way on their run, their magical run to the final four. And in my opinion, I stated this to my friends I would have taken Bancaro number one, not because he's a Duke guy, but from what I saw, he looked to me like the most ready, um, the most skilled player of the bunch, the, the most um, plug and play now type of player that you'd kind of, to me, he's the safest option, a guy that you can, you can feel good about taking number one. You don't have to worry if he's going to be a bust or anything like that. So, uh, and, and as we got closer and closer, the odds on these guys was changing daily. So anyway, uh, here's who went number one. Take it away, Adam Silver. The first pick in the 2022 NBA Draft, the Orlando Magic select Paolo Bancaro from Duke University. Bancaro, fourth player from Duke, selected number one overall, most of any college joining Zion Williamson, Kyrie Irving, who's been making some news today. More on him later on. And Elton Brand. Getting the love from his family. Proud of his roots from Seattle. The ACC Rookie of the Year. Average 17 points and eight rebounds and three assists per game. 6'10", 250 pounds. You know, prior to becoming a freshman star at Duke, Bancaro was a freshman backup quarterback at O'Day High School near Seattle. As we get to know him, find out he was mistaken for one of the best quarterbacks on the planet. Okay, so yeah, there you go. Bancaro taking number one. And I think, like I said, that to me is the best pick, the safest pick in the fact that I think he um, will be the least likely to bust of all those players. And you you heard that uh, number one uh, from Duke. Uh, with Zion Williamson, who went number one, Kyrie Irving. Let's hope he's not Zion Williamson. We still, The jury's still out, but so far Zion's been a bust, and it's sad because his Pelicans team was actually decent and made a run at the playoffs after they acquired C.J. McCollum in that trade in the midway point of the season. So, yeah, Bancaro takes the suspense away. He goes number one, kind of a switch, because Jabari... Um, was pretty much seen as the number one throughout many of these months. And then uh, here was the second overall pick. The second pick in the 2022 NBA draft, the Oklahoma City Thunder select Chet Holmgren from Gonzaga University. Chet Holmgren. You know, he was teammates with Jalen Suggs in high school at in Minneapolis for three seasons, getting the hug from his dad. And his dad, of course, very famous for that camcorder. <laughs> dad, David, mom, Sarah Harris. By the way, dad played ball, seven feet tall, went on a visit to Houston when Hakeem Olajuwon was there. He later would go to Minnesota. Bad knees were the problem, but right now, Chet Holmgren, you're going to hear this word a lot. At seven feet tall, 195 pounds, that word is unicorn yeah so 
Holmgren ends up going number two, highest drafted Gonzaga player ever. I read that a little bit earlier. He's another guy. If he if he can bulk up, if he can stay healthy, I think he's going to have a very good, a very long career. And how about the fact that he played high school basketball with Jalen Suggs, another NBA player who also went to Gonzaga? Just, I mean, could you imagine playing against them? I'm barely five foot four. Imagine if I had to play against Chet Holmgren. Oh my, I'd be climbing on his back. I, I, I I'd do anything, you know, to stop him. I, but anyway. Uh, that's who went number two to Oklahoma City. Like I said, the Magic took Bancaro number one. And then, of course, surprise, surprise, Jabari Smith Jr. ends up going number three to the Houston Rockets. The third pick in the 2022 draft, the Houston Rockets select Jabari Smith Jr. Okay. From Auburn University. Okay. How you feeling? I'm feeling really good. Someone that could have gone number Better one, fit. super skilled. I love this. Running alongside Jalen Green. Young man, six months younger than Paolo Bancaro, full year younger than Chet Holmgren. Now, this team, when you talk about outside shooting, you're adding a guy who's 6'10", versatile, 220 pounds, and shot 42% from three. And the reason I'm so excited, for those who don't know, I'm from Houston. And so we are talking about amassing talent and getting these draft picks and nailing them. I think he's a home run. I think he's a layup pick for the Rockets. Okay, so that that's all for uh, that. I'm not going to obviously play the audio for every pick here. So those were the three I wanted to do. Next up, you had Sacramento. And they selected Iowa's Keegan Murray at four. Number five was Jaden Ivey from Purdue going to Detroit. Now, those are back-to-back Big Ten players. We had three Big Ten players in the top ten. I'll get to that in a minute. As for Jaden Ivey, his selection had to be the most heartwarming and emotional. His mom is, of course, the head women's basketball coach at Notre Dame. She was actually even an assistant with the Grizzlies having coached John Morant who many compare Ivy to. Now, surprise, surprise, I've seen Ivy play in person. I've seen Keegan Murray play in person. I'm not sold on either one. I think Ivy's probably better than Murray. But what I will say, uh, the fact is that Ivy is the point guard of the bunch, and and that's uh, a special thing in a draft like this um, to be considered the best point guard there is. But... um, I think, and I said it in one of my fan, in my fantasy basketball group chat uh, with the guys there. I said that Jaden Ivy, because he was being linked to the Knicks, and are the Knicks going to trade up to four and take him because they haven't had a true point guard in over a decade and whatever? And I said, you do not want Jaden Ivy. He is a poor, poor man's John Morant. And I'm sorry that I have to say that. It's no slight to him. Oh, well, no, it is a slight to him. I'm just, I don't think he's that good. I've seen him against Rutgers. Yeah, he had a posterizing Sports Center top 10 dunk, but for the most part, he he didn't do anything that led me to believe he's going to be a superstar in the draft and getting taken at number five suggests that he's a superstar. And the same thing with Keegan Murray. He that I don't think he can shoot the ball that well. I don't like his form. He didn't do all that much against Rutgers. He scored a bunch in the first half and then he was non-existent in the second half and, and, and when Rutgers beat them. So I'm just not sold on these guys. I don't know what these, the, these, uh, these scouts are seeing, but I, I think they need... Um, somebody like Adam Sandler's character in Hustle to go out and scout some players because uh, I don't know if they if they are doing such a good job. But um, 
Detroit had themselves a draft, by the way. They also traded Milwaukee's 2025 first-round pick to the Knicks for Kemba Walker and 13th pick Jalen Duran, Duran, um, a high upside big man. Um, More on that later with the Knicks. But uh, you had Benedict Matheron uh, going number six to the Pacers from Arizona. Shaden Sharp from um, Kentucky going number seven to the Blazers. You had Dyson Daniels from the G League Ignite go eight to the Pelicans. He is the third Ignite player taken in the top eight over the last two years. You had, of course, Jalen Green to the Rockets. You had Jonathan Kaminga to the Warriors and now Daniels. So that's very that's very interesting. Um, a guy that didn't play a single game in college getting drafted, number eight. Uh, Jer- Jeremy Sochan from Baylor goes nine to the Spurs. Um, if you're not sure who that is and you've seen Baylor play, he's the moron that always had like the pink hair or whatever, um, always had his hair colored. Um, number uh, And then Johnny Davis from uh, Wisconsin rounded out the top 10. That's the other Big Ten player. Um, uh, that went in the top 10. Another guy, I'm sorry to say it, don't think he's that good. I just don't. Uh, very, very surprising, but a lot of guys in the top 10 I'm not very fond of. Okay, some other notes. Let's talk about the New York Knicks. So they were supposed to have that 13th pick. Nope, they traded it away, and Stephen A didn't know for about 30 minutes, and yikes. Um, so anyway, they did have 11. They took this guy, Uzmain Jang, um, but that pick was traded to Oklahoma City. Um, so the, the Knicks were all over the map. Everybody thought they were going to trade up and they were going to get um, their themselves in position at four with the Kings to get a guy like Jaden Ivey because they really lack that point guard. They really need a point guard. Um, so here was, here was, uh, Stephen A today after he had some time to marinate on this and Stephen A is basically every Knicks fan on the planet. Just trying to figure out what is it that I've done? What is it that I've done? What is it that Nick fans have done to deserve this? I mean, we, we're loyal. We, 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 we stick with our team. The New York Knicks are a disaster. I'm not happy at all. I'm not going to say another word about them for this show, but this. I'm not going to call for a boycott. I'm not going to go that far. <laughs> but I will tell protest? you this. I will tell you this. I'm not going to call for a protest. I'm telling you right here, right now, I'm not going to the Garden next year. I won't go one game there. I won't go one game. I'm so disgusted with them. They're not doing this to me anymore. I'm sick and tired of this nonsense. I'm not going to the Garden next year. I'm not discouraging, I'm not discouraging anybody else. Two wrongs don't make a right, the, them, I'm not wrong. I'm not wrong. This is for my own health and my own sanity. Oh, got it. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. done. Let's I'm, I'm, they, I'm still going to root for them. Good. Protect but your I can't peace. Be, I can't be in the garden because I'm scared of what I would say to them if I saw them face to face. Go ahead, Ken. You know what? You know I got to tell you the truth. <clears throat> oh. And I got to. Oh, one last thing. Oh. The New York Knicks, you ready for this? Yeah. Are worse than the Dallas Cowboys. That's got to tell you something. If Stephen A. Smith is saying that the Knicks are worse than the Dallas Cowboys, um, it, yeah, it, the, the Knicks made three separate trades after moving Kemba Walker last night. It, it, it's just a hard pill to swallow if, if you're a Knicks fan. Um, they were looking forward to the draft as they do every year when they're totally irrelevant. 
Um, but they just fans thought they were going to go into last night and the Knicks were going to trade up and they were going to get a couple of players from this draft, a couple of young studs, and they did not. Okay. They did not end this draft with potential players from this class. They just didn't. Instead, they left with they they pull they they got themselves some draft capital, but nothing that's going to help them for yet another year. They left with three future first round picks and Duke guard Trevor Keels, which okay, whatever. Um, but it's nothing to get the Knicks fans off their feet. And like Stephen A. Smith said, he is not Unknown going. Caller. How is this possible? I'm getting another spam call. Holy shnikes. Um, I never get spam calls, and I thought I had Do Not Disturb on. I do have Do Not Disturb on, and still the spam calls are getting through, which makes zero sense because that's not even supposed to happen. It's only supposed to be people in my favorites that can get through um, and call me when I have Do Not Disturb on. So anyway, yeah, the Knicks entered Thursday night with the 11th pick overall. And it just it went down from there. Of course, like I said, they wanted to move up into the top five to take either Jaden Ivey or uh, Shaden Sharp. I believe I said Shaden Sharp was from Kentucky. I, I misspoke. I meant uh, Duke. Um, there was other reports as well that they could trade down because of interest in their pick from other teams. It was just all over the place. In the end, they didn't get they didn't get Ivy. They didn't get Sharp. Obviously, they made a bunch of deals. Uh, they drafted Uzmain Jang, and like I said, uh, the French guy. And but they quickly sent him to Oklahoma City for three conditional first round picks. Then after Charlotte selected Jalen Duran with the thirteenth uh, pick, New York acquired the Memphis center for one of the conditional picks they received from the uh, from the Thunder. After that, and that's when Stephen A. Smith thought he had Jalen Duran and was kind of happy for a second. No, the team then sent him and Kemba Walker in a package deal to Detroit. That's where Detroit had a stud of a draft. Um, and they did acquire Detroit's 2025 first-round pick, whoop de doo -dah. Uh Knicks fans want to see something now, not not in, in three years. Um, so the Knicks made three trades in the first round and got back three first-round picks. Two conditional picks next year and another in 2025, meaning the Knicks now have four opening round selections in next year's draft. Woohoo, like I said. Um, they drafted uh, Trevor Keels in the second round. I was sleeping by that point, so I missed that. Uh, Keels, another one-and-done player under Coach K, who was the third-leading scorer on Duke's Final Four squad. So, you know, he should be a role player um, for that team coming off the bench. But not looking good. After the Knicks went from the four seed to missing the playoffs, they decided to punt on this year's draft and stockpile for next year. Just woof. Oh my God. And I thought things were getting bad for the for my Brooklyn Nets with the with the Kyrie uh, Irving news and everything going on there and how he kind of wants to be traded if he can't get a deal done. And and then Kevin Durant could bounce. Just everything is going crazy in New York right now. Just unbelievable. Okay. Uh, some quick other notes before we move on from the NBA draft. It was a long process. Uh, Patrick Baldwin Jr. went 28th overall to the Warriors. Who is that, you might ask? I love this pick. 
one of my favorite players in this draft because of how intriguing he is. And we don't really know a whole lot about him, but wow, the Warriors are quickly becoming the Patriots of the NBA. If you follow basketball, you know who Baldwin is. He's the former number one overall player in high school before he had an ankle injury at the end of his senior season that dropped into number eight in his high school class. He had a chance to go play at Duke, but he decided to go and play for little-known mid-major Milwaukee for one reason and one reason only. His dad was the head coach. Baldwin ended up lasting just one season at Milwaukee, and it was not a good one. That ankle injury that I talked about, he tried to come back sooner than he should have, and it didn't heal properly, so he ended up only playing by the time the season was over and done. He appeared in just 11 games. The team finished 10-22, and and his father, Baldwin Sr., was fired. Oh, my God. Imagine being fired. And the reason is your son. And that's pretty much what happened because his son didn't play and help the team. He was fired. And if you think about it this way, had things turned out differently, had he maybe gone to Duke, a school he was very much considering, he may not have been in this position. Maybe maybe he plays at the end of the year. Maybe he helps Duke win a national tight, uh, championship in Coach K's final season. And then he's at lottery pick. But instead, he falls all the way to 28, where the Golden State Warriors, your defending NBA champions, snag up a potential top 10 player. Unbelievable. Okay, the Rockets turn the 26th pick they received from the Mavs in the Christian Wood deal into Wendell Moore Jr., another uh, dookie. However, they then traded Moore to the Timberwolves in exchange for the 29th pick, Ty Ty Washington, from Kentucky, and second round picks in 2025 and 2027. The Sixers traded Danny Green, number the number 23 pick, David Roddy from Colorado, to the Grizzlies for DeAnthony Melton. It's quite possible Danny Green's career is over after tearing his, I think, LCL and MC or ACL in the playoffs there. Um, that's going to be a tough recovery. Um, Ron Harper Jr. from Rutgers was not drafted. He was seen as maybe a late second round draft pick, but he was not selected. However, he signed on with the uh, Toronto Raptors on a two-way deal. UCLA's Johnny Juzang also signed a two-way contract with the Jazz. Bit surprising he didn't get drafted, though, in my opinion, considering he did help UCLA to a Final Four two years ago and then a Sweet 16 appearance this past March. Just ridiculous how these guys analyze these players and, and decide who to pick and who not to pick. Then you have Sharif O'Neal, the son of Shaquille O'Neal. He has agreed to play Summer League with the Lakers. The Lakers also signed former Vanderbilt guard Scottie Pippen Jr., yes, that Scottie Pippen's son, to a two-way contract. And that pretty much will round it up. Um, let's see. Um, some other notables that went in the first round. Um, Ochai Agbaji from Kansas, who obviously won a national championship. He went number 14 overall to the Cavs. Um Let's see. Uh, ch -ch 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 -ch. I'm not going to go through all these. I said Wendell Moore. Um, the Miami Heat, fun, funny enough, they selected a guy by the name of Nikola Jovic. So not Nikola Jokic, but Nikola Jovic. So I thought that was pretty funny. Um, and then to round out this first round, the final pick 
at number 30 was Peyton Watson. Um, OKC took him, but then traded him to Denver. So he was the last player taken in the first round. So it was an eventful night. Um, I'm sure if you are a fan of a certain team that you know who your team drafted. So we move on. All right, let's talk a little College World Series baseball. The finals is set. We've whittled down from 64 to the final two, and it will be Ole Miss facing Oklahoma in the finals. We have a little SEC versus a little Big 12 action, okay? Ole Miss is the Cinderella of this tournament. They eliminated Arkansas yesterday, which isn't even the amazing part. The Rebels were awarded the final at-large berth in the 64-team NCAA postseason and have won eight of nine this month. And I was saying that Rutgers got snubbed and they should have gotten an at-large uh, bid, but to go from at-large to College World Series finals is just unbelievable. Can't take it away from them. They're deserving of it, and I'm rooting for them, and I hope they win. They would be vying for the team's first national championship this best of three series begins tomorrow at seven on ESPN, and I will be paying attention. So here's the interesting part. Oklahoma women just won the Women's College World Series, and now the men made it to the finals. What a story that would be if both the men's baseball team and the women's softball team both win College World Series in the same exact year. Wonder if that's ever been done before. Uh, crazy. I, I I'm sure maybe like a Florida has done it before or, you know, one of these other maybe Florida states, one of these other powerhouse uh, schools or even in Alabama, something like that. But just unbelievable. So, yeah, that series starts tomorrow at 7 p.m. OK, some other news to report. Finally, this saga is over. Arch Manning, of course, the son of Cooper Manning, the grandson of Archie Manning and the nephew of both Eli and Peyton Manning has finally chosen a school and it is going to surprise a lot of folks. He's going to Texas. Longhorn Nation. Yes. So it's very surprising. But excuse me, after reading an article on The Athletic about how Texas pretty much wined and dined Manning, I have to give him give Steve Sarkeesian and quarterbacks coach AJ Milwee uh just huge huge props because they put in the work. So this guy, AJ Milway, the quarterback's coach there, I think he's like 36 years old. He would go to Isidore Newman high school where Arch Manning is plays. He would arrive to the school's weight room like at dawn before anybody else had gotten there before the head football coach at Isidore Newman, Nelson Stewart arrived there. He got there so early that he was the one turning on the lights in the facility. So he was putting in the work, showing how much he cared um, that they wanted Arch Manning. And look, Texas was all about building the relationship with the Mannings. And they did just that. They knew they weren't going to wine and dine him and tell him, oh, look, our team is so good. You know, we just won a national championship. No, Georgia can say that, though. And Alabama could say that as well. Um, two teams that just vied for the national championship and two of his three teams that he was considering going to. Um, I mean, it's it's actually quite miraculous that they pulled off such a signing considering they were just five and seven last year, Texas. And I what did they lose like six straight to end the year? At one point, they lost, I think, six in a row. Um, just unbelievable. But I, I love hearing stories like this because 
Um, sometimes the powerhouse teams need a kick in the butt. They need to lose out on a player of this caliber and, and they need to be shown that they're not invincible and they can't just, uh, you know, get anybody or pull out the NIL money that's going around now and say, boom, this is our player. So this could be the biggest signee in Texas since Vince Young was the number one player in the nation coming out of high school. Just a absolute, um, stud of a signing by Steve Sarkeesian there. Just ridiculous. Um, so, yeah. Arch Manning is, a Tex is going to Texas. All right. The Colorado Avalanche have done it again. They are just one, count it, one win away, possibly tonight in Game 5, from winning the Stanley Cup after yet another overtime winner. This one didn't come so quickly, though. The first one, game one was like two minutes into overtime. This was 15 minutes into overtime, but take a listen. Icing is waved off as Darcy Kemper starts the charge the other way. Lekkonen just off the bench. Quickly ahead, Nazem Kadri inside the circle. Kadri! Where's the puck? How did that not go in? It did. It did go in. It did? It did. We it did! Won. He scores! Nazem Kadri! Yeah. The Kadri man can! Yeah, it was kind of weird. It took a while for anybody to realize that the that the puck went in the goal, um, but it did. Nazem Kadri, and there was some controversy a little bit uh, to this goal because uh, Tampa Bay coach John Cooper made it clear afterwards he felt Colorado had too many men on the ice at the time of the goal, but apparently this is one of those that's not reviewable. It's not really a call that is going to get made in this situation. And so there it is, the Lightning down 3-1 when they could just as easily be up 3-1. Sometimes that's just how the puck falls. But I believe that uh, pretty much anybody that's a hockey fan besides Tampa Bay fans wants to see somebody else win a title. Uh, you don't want to see the same team win over and over and over again. And so, yeah, it looks like the Avs are going to get it done. And if I had to guess, I'd say they're probably just going to wipe them away and win it tonight um, in game five. So stay tuned to if you're interested in that game. It will be tonight, game five of the Stanley Cup Finals. All right, let's jump over a bit to baseball. Shohei Otani making some history on Tuesday and Wednesday night. On Wednesday he tossed a career-high 13 strikeouts in the Angels' 5-0 win a day after racking up a career-high 8 RBIs. He is the first player with both an 8-RBI game and a 13-strikeout game in his career, and he did it in consecutive days. Just ridiculous. All right, let's talk PGA. They've responded to the live golf after... A little bit surprising, but not shocking. Brooks Kepka announced that he was leaving. So Brooks Kepka defects from the PGA Tour to join the Live Golf Tour. Um, so the PGA decided, all right, it's time. We have to hold a press conference. We're going to announce some changes. Here's those changes. Bear with me. Increased purse sizes for eight tournaments. 
and why eight tournaments? Because Live Golf is like seven or eight events in total. So that's what they're aiming for. The Century Tournament of Champions, Genesis Invitational, the Arnold Palmer Invitational, Players Championship, the WGC Dell Technologies Match Play, the Memorial, FedEx St. Jude Championship, and the BMW Championship. So each purse is going to be upped by either five or eight million dollars. And that will be total purses ranging from 15 mil to 25 million dollars. So that puts those eight in range of individual live events, because if you remember back to the first inaugural live tournament in London a couple of weeks ago, that paid out 25 million. So then the PGA is moving back to a calendar year schedule from January to August, and they're changing the format for qualification. Only the top 70 players in FedEx Cup points qualify for the FedEx Cup playoffs, starting with the St. Jude Championship. From there, only 50 will move on to the BMW, and just 30 will compete in the Tour Championship. So those initial 70 players who qualify for the playoffs, they will receive full exemption for the entire next season, while the remaining 55 spots will be determined by a series of fall events. And lastly, the tour is adding up to three international events after the season in a limited field, no-cut event of the top 50 players in points plus top performers from the fall. So hopefully you're able to soak all that in. Uh, but again, this is all well and good. It's a step in the right direction for the PGA Tour, of course. But the PGA Tour cannot offer what the Live Tour can. The L Live Golf is paying these guys hundreds of millions to defect. So will this realistically have any effect in whether guys leave or, or stay, I don't think, ultimately, I don't think so. If there's somebody on the fence, maybe, but usually if you're on the fence, you're going for the money. So we'll see, only time will tell. And speaking of the PGA Tour, little shout of congratulations go out to Matthew Fitzpatrick, who won the U.S. Open at, in Massachusetts, at the country club, beating out Will Zalatoris and number one Scotty Scheffler by one stroke. It was actually a very uh, a very fun uh, a tournament. Nobody ran away with it. It, it was exciting all the way till the end. Um, and then if you look at the travelers going on right now, I saw uh, Xander Shoffley is up there at the top of the leaderboard, as well as, up. Oh, Rory has a one-shot lead at 13 under through 11. Xander's one, one uh, hole ahead of him at 12 under. And then Harris English, Patrick Cantley, Nick Hardy, um, and Martin Laird are at nine under. So, yeah, those two guys are starting to run away with this thing. But it's only Friday. We've got two more days. Let's see. Rory has been on fire. Uh, the last couple, he won at the Canadian Open. Um, he played well at the U.S. Open, um, although he, he started off well. He fell off a little bit, but he still finished pretty good. And now he's dominating here at the Traveler. So uh, remains to be seen if he can win this. But we'll, we'll see how it, how it plays out into the weekend. All right, I've got some sad news to report out of the NFL. A couple of uh, players 
actually passed away. We're going to start off with uh, the goose, Tony Siragusa, passing away. One of the NFL's biggest and most beloved personalities. He died on Wednesday at the age of 55. I saw something that he might have died Monday. Maybe it wasn't reported until Wednesday. I don't know. Uh, it was weird. But anyway, the defensive tackle played seven seasons with the Colts and five with the Ravens, culminating in a Super Bowl championship in the year 2000 over the Giants, which is funny because his family grew up in New Jersey. Uh, his father was a diehard Giants fan. Um, he then became, I knew Tony Siragusa from his time as a broadcaster. He was a uh, Fox's uh, sideline reporter for many years, and he would be out on the sideline with his big coat and um, in the snow, you name it. And, and I just, I thought he was a great personality, and I liked uh, to hear what he had to say on the sideline, and I, I thought he did a very good job. Um, so it's very sad news. He apparently uh, reportedly died in his sleep at his home in Tom's River, New Jersey. Actually, uh, my aunt and cousins live in Tom's River, so probably not too far from from where he was. And I just I, I happen to find this clip. It's just very eerie. I'm going to play this clip back from back in 2012. Tony Siragusa was on the Howard Stern show. Just take a listen to this. This is a little bit scary. He's go. He's talking about um how his father died when he was 21 years old. Just take a listen. You know, I, I really like, you since I, and I was 21 when my dad passed away, and ever, ever, like every day since then, I'm just like, you know, the best day ever, man. It doesn't really matter. If I die tomorrow, I told my wife, just put a smile on my face, put a little Sinatra on, you know, let's go. Yeah. So, so with a history of heart. So, yeah, sorry. Uh, I thought that was a little bit longer, but no. Basically, if you could hear him there, his father died of a massive heart attack. He went into more detail about how they had a party. They were watching the Giants or something later that night. They they had like a barbecue. They hear his mother just screaming and they run in. His father's having a massive heart attack. He's like gasping for air. He said they didn't really know how to perform CPR. He's like pounding on his chest. They don't know what to do. And he basically just watched his father gasping for air, trying to breathe. And he, he basically looked him in the eyes and saw the life kind of leave his body uh, as he died. And he said the ambulance, it felt like a month for it to get there. And he was just dead on the spot. There's nothing they could do to bring him back. That was when he was 21. He never saw him play a game in the NFL, although he said he he always wrote dad on his shoes, on his cleats. So when he would get tired or look down, his dad would always be there with him. So we, he says, my dad never missed a single game of my career because he was up there watching me. So just very eerie. And, and Stern goes on to say that his family had a history of heart problems. And he's asking him, like, does that bother you? Do you care because you're a big guy? I think he got up to like 350 in his playing days. And he said no. And obviously, as you heard in the clip, if he were to die tomorrow, he said he lived a good life. He, he would tell his wife to just put a smile on his face, and that's that. So, wow, very eerie there because that's pretty much what happened. He he pretty much died the way his father died um, and probably had a, a heart attack in his sleep or something. It's just scary um, that there was that foreshadowing, essentially, um, all those years ago. So, yeah, wow. Wow. All right, so we also had another tragic death. Surprisingly enough, this one from the Ravens organization. Again, uh, this player would be, I want to say, I think he was third, a third-year player. Um, 
Where are we at here? Uh, I did mention his name. Uh, oh my God. Okay, here we go. Um, 26-year-old linebacker Jalen Ferguson was also uh, found dead in his home this week in Baltimore. I think this was on Tuesday. No cause of death has been given, but reports indicate it could have been a drug overdose. Very sad um, how these players fall down into these rabbit holes and the, these um, into bad ways with all this money and and, and such. But uh, yes, yeah, sad week for for Ravens uh, fans. So my hearts go out to all of you, the Siragusa family, the Ferguson family. Uh, just a just a rough week in general. So R.I.P. Okay, um, some other sad news, but nobody dying, thankfully. Gronk has announced his latest retirement this week. This, of course, the second time Gronk has retired after famously being pulled out of retirement by Brady when he bolted for South Beach. Of course, they had the whole commercial where Tom called him up and he said, hey, and it was like the T-Mobile commercial, and then they end up unretiring, whatever. Gronk, definitely one of the best personalities in the NFL, easily one of, if not the best tight end ever, and he will definitely be a Hall of Famer. I just hope he ends up rejoining Fox or some other um, company so we get to enjoy that personality some more on television. And then um, Alvin Kamara, this came out today. He is facing a six-game, possible six-game suspension for the upcoming season. If you remember, Kamara broke a man's eye uh, excuse me, broke the man's eye socket after a hotel brawl ensued the day before the Pro Bowl. He actually ended up playing in that Pro Bowl, was questioned by police, and then after the Pro Bowl, he was arrested. So we don't know um, when the suspension will take effect, whether it's going to be at the beginning of the season, in the middle, at the end. It all depends on court proceedings and 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 how this all shakes out. And then finally, lastly, Shame, shame, shame. Major League Baseball. They can't get out of their own way. Fan attendance is down. Fan viewership is down. Games are longer than ever. You name it, the game is getting worse and worse and worse. Well, on Tuesday, Major League Baseball sent a memo to all 30 teams reminding them to mud their baseballs consistently, as one should, of course. What the hell am I talking about? Well, the memo states that the proper way to mud a baseball is to apply the mud directly by hand in a uniform manner, ensuring the same mud-to-water ratio is applied to each ball. There's also a humidor that is involved. We, we have the Rockies to thank for that one. I read in this article that they started doing this a few years ago, and now it's become a thing. These balls have to remain in a humidor. They can't be taken out until a couple hours before the game. It, it, it's ridiculous. You don't have to rub mud from the Mississippi River or whatever the hell they use to to prepare baseballs for play. They don't they don't do this in in base in high school or college. Come on, man! Like they take it out of the bag and the box. You you rub some dirt on it, give it to the pitcher, rub some dirt on it, and let's play ball. This is not this complicated. And if the balls need that much dirt and mud put on them so that they're game day ready, something is seriously wrong with these major league baseballs, which. There might be because every year it seems like they're tinkering with them. Home runs are down, then they're back up, then they're down. It, it, who knows what the hell they're doing? But since MLB 
pretty much bought Rawlings and now like owns the rights to the baseballs. They don't have to reveal any secrets on how they they make these balls or anything like that. So this is just not the change in baseball that we need to worry about. Like, come on, Manfred. Just another boneheaded move by a boneheaded, moronic commissioner. Ridiculous. All right, that pretty much wraps this thing up. As always, we have On This Date in Sports. I don't really have one for today, unfortunately. Um, one that I did see was that um, on this date, let's see the year. Let me pull up the year. Okay, so on this date, June 24th, 1987, the magic of Lionel Messi was born. Yes, the lefty. Um he was born on June 24th, 1987. So he turns 35 years old today. He was born in Rosario, Argentina. That's pretty much the only one I have. I couldn't find anything else really on the internet um, about it. There were some ones for the draft from like yesterday, but I was really looking for one today. So that's pretty much it. Uh, that'll wrap this thing up. We're just under an hour. Like I said, you got the Travelers Championship on this week. You, you've got um, the Stanley Cup Finals tonight. You've got baseball. You've got the NCAA uh, College World Series Finals. That's on tonight. Uh, excuse me. That's on tomorrow between Oklahoma and Ole Miss. Um, the draft was yesterday. Baseball's on all weekend. Yankees Astros tonight. That's actually on Amazon Prime. I'm going to probably text my dad, or really I should text my mom because they're down in South Carolina. She'll be the one that's going to have to operate the uh, Amazon, the uh, Fire TV box there to uh, turn that on on Amazon Prime for him if he wants to watch it. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. Let's see. Anything else we've got? No, we've got 50-year anniversary of Title IX. That took place, uh, I think that was yesterday as well, so that's cool. Um, making huge strides for women and equality in sports and yada, yada, all that good stuff. So, yeah, I'm not going to ramble on. That's pretty much it. I'm sure there are things that I missed. Let me go back here. Um, oh, interesting. That must not have been an updated upda updated standings. Xander Shoffley is winning at 12 under. Something happened to Rory McIlroy. He dropped three shots. So Rory is now down to a tie for third at nine under. Uh, Laird is in sole possession of second at 10 under. So Shoffley's the one winning at 12 under. So sorry for that confusion. That must not have been updated. Uh, what else? Um, let's see. Bears linebacker Matt Adams was charged with misdemeanor firearm possession. Uh, he was arrested on a weapons charge. Uh, let's see. Um, that's pretty much it. Oh, yes. Uh, one more thing in terms of the NBA, there's a uh, five-star recruit, Mattis Buzelis. I probably butchered that name. Matas Buzelis. Uh, he chose, he's the fourth player now to choose the uh, G League Ignite over college. Well, fourth player that's probably going to get drafted in the top 10 in three years. So he's the number 11 player in ESPN's top 100 for the class of 2023. He has committed to the G League Ignite for the upcoming 2023-2024 season. He's a skilled six foot ten forward and will bypass college basketball and sign into the NBA's professional pathway program once he graduates from Sun 
Rise Christian Academy in Kansas next spring. So there you have it. That's going to wrap this thing up. I'm going to get this in under one hour exactly. I'll see everybody next week. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the weather. Get outside. Have some fun. I'll see everybody next week. Pody out.